Isn't this good, guys? Hey, God has brought us into something that's bigger, and it's for a purpose, and it's for a reason. So, yeah, before we start, I wonder if we can just close our eyes and just pray. Father, just thank you for this morning. Thank you for every time that we get together. Thank you that every time we do get together, Lord, it's for purpose. And the purpose, Lord, is not so much what can we get, but Lord, is how much can we see more of you, Jesus? And I pray this morning, just even as we've started to see just more glimpses of you through the testimonies already this morning and through the worship, pray, Lord, that right now by your Holy Spirit you would come and you would energize us into a fuller understanding of who you are and what you are like. Thank you that you're a good father. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. So two guys were shipwrecked on an island. And small island, there was nothing else on it. And the one guy says to the other guy, we're doomed, we're going to die, nobody's going to find us out here. Look how small this island is, there's nobody around. And the other guy's leaning against a palm tree, just smiling away. So the other guy says to him, why are you so happy? We're going to die, Don't, has it not sunk into your head? We're going to die. So the other guy leaning against the palm tree went, man, don't worry. It's all going to be fun. I earn $100,000 a week. And the guy's like, are you nuts? What does that have to do with it? You can't use money out here. We can't buy a boat. How does that even help? The guy said, well, I earn $100,000 a week, and I tithe 10% every week. So it's not going to be long before my pastor comes finding me. Now, don't try that in Oceanside, because none of us elders know how much people give, so nobody's coming to look for you, okay? (laughs) This morning, we're talking about walking walking in faith in our finances. We're doing three short three-part series on finances, but today, church, I want to ask you, lay aside for one moment how you see finances And this morning, my trust and my hope is that rather we look and you look for a moment at how God sees you and how he wants to pour out his blessing on you. See, and I want to start off by reading a scripture, and you'd probably look at the scripture and go, what does this have to do with finances? But let me read it quickly. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 67, and it says this, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. If we even dare, church, to look at finances without first laying the foundation of the person of Jesus Christ as the very source of the context of finances, we will go into error. Can I say that again? If Jesus is not the center of everything, including finances, we will go into error. You see, money, contrary to popular belief, is not the source of peace and righteousness. How many know that? 
See, the world doesn't know that because the world is searching for peace and the world is searching for righteousness through money. But it doesn't come through money. Three things. Jesus, firstly, brings peace and righteousness. Secondly, an inanimate object like money, like a coin, does not have the ability to bring peace and righteousness. Only creator God can do that. I'm laboring this point, but folk, if we don't understand this right from the beginning, we are actually gonna muddle up our thoughts and we're gonna get into a worldly pattern of thinking. Thirdly, Jesus is not selective in the peace and righteousness he brings to us. He wants to bring peace and righteousness into our marriages. He wants to bring peace and righteousness into our families. He wants to bring peace and righteousness into our businesses. And he wants to bring peace and righteousness into our finances. Can I hear an amen? There should be. And because of Jesus, the means to walking out these things, our marriages, our businesses, our kids, our homes, our families, and our finances, because of Jesus, our lives can be changed and we can model the kingdom. See, under the new covenant, these things were not and now are not attained through the law, but they attained through the incredible grace of Father God over our lives. And church, there's an assurance, and this is what I want to labor on this morning for a couple of minutes. There's an assurance that Christ wants us to walk in through this gift of God's grace, when we start to understand it, that says the following, God's promises and blessings are for me. Can I hear you say, God's promises and blessings are for me? They are, church. And sometimes I think we long to live in the fullness of that, of his blessings and his promises, but Sometimes I think we can often walking away wondering if we qualify. Do I qualify? I remember once we went on a cruise ship. It's like the only time we've been on a cruise ship here in, in off Canada. And we were looking at cruise ships. And uh, the one thing that they were doing, you had a gala evening where you had to dress up really smartly. Many of you been on one of those cruises where you do that? I didn't want to go on that cruise. <laughs> I'm not the kind of dress up smartly kind of guy. But it was a frantic thought, you know, what am I going to wear if you have to because you've got to go very smartly dressed. I don't have a tuxedo, I don't have this, I don't have that. And sometimes when we look at ourselves and we look at God's blessings and promises over our lives and we realize that we've fallen, that we're sinful, that often we feel under the whip from Satan, I think sometimes we feel man, I don't qualify. I don't qualify for God's blessings. But here's the kicker. Here's the main, main thing. God's promises, church, are covenantal. They are not contractual. Can I say that again? His promises are covenantal, not contractual. Contractual. We fail, he does not. And we so often can treat our relationship with God like a contractual relationship rather than a covenantal relationship. And I'm speaking to myself here. 
not pointing fingers. But you know what? Contract says, anybody in business will know this. Contract says, make sure you get the most out of the deal. Don't trust. I'm in this for myself and what I can get. Protect myself. That's what contract says. Covenant says, my commitment to you is more important than what I get from the deal. Commitment, uh, contract, uh, covenant says, always trust. Covenant says, I'm in this for you and what I can give. Covenant says, I will protect you. Guys, it's something of this thing of the awesomeness of God starting to sink in because if we get this understanding of his blessings being covenantal, it will change the way we view finances. God's promises are covenantal. This is how he sees us. But I don't know about you, we so often, when it comes to finances, especially revert to contract. I've done it. I'm not pointing fingers, I've done it. Tithing, so isn't that old covenant? No, do I have to still do that today? Do I give 10% before tax or after tax? I'm not mocking, I'm just saying, I've done that. My hope is that honestly, we walk out of here today knowing that God is covenantly committed to blessing us. See, and this is not a prosperity gospel preach, <laughs> in case you think it is. We've already established that money cannot bring peace and righteousness, church. And a prosperity gospel preach is where you make blessing about how much you have. This is not that. True understanding of blessing, however, is about me realizing who Jesus Christ is and what he has already done for me. And out of that place that he is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And we're gonna look at a covenant that God made, which will hopefully give you insight into why you can stand today knowing that you are a blessed people. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today you are blessed. See, if we look through binoculars, uh, we have a wonderful view. Some of you might have been to our house over the Georgia Strait and... Um, Jerry won't mind me saying this, but he was fishing out yesterday, so I was on my balcony because I know Jerry's hangout spot for the best, um, for the best salmon there, and I was looking through my binocs, and I could see he had his rod in his hand, and I texted him. I said, Jerry, is there a fish on? And he was like, nah, I lost it. So I was like, oh. But if you take binoculars and you turn them the other way around and you look through the wrong lenses, Instead of seeing things clearly and close, everything is far and, and not visible and not clear. And sometimes we look through the wrong lenses, church. If we look through the lens of when, it looks, when we look at finances, of what do I have to do when it comes to finances, when it comes to tithing, when it comes to generosity and giving, we are going to see an incorrect view of finances from God's point of view. If we look through the lens of what has God already done for us? Woo! I get excited. We will see with new eyes. We will see with new eyes. Eyes strengthened by faith, eyes moved by grace, and out of that place, we will do what God wants us to do. 
See, to fully understand the fullness of blessing God wants us to walk in, in every aspect of our lives, including finances, I wanna have a look, and we're gonna look back at Abram. Abram's time in the Bible. Because there's a covenantal promise and a blessing that God instituted in Abram's time that affects the way God sees us. It affects the way God acts towards us. It affects the way God deals with us. It affects the way God deals with our finances. It affects the way God leads us into his plans for us. And it affects whether we are partakers of a covenant or not. See, Genesis 12 verse one, and I'm gonna read this verse. It said, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And here's the promise and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's blessing church in our lives is is for there to be an abundance in every aspect of our lives. Finances being one part of that. Goes on in chapter 15, verse five, and it says, and he brought him outside and said, look towards the heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And it says about Abram, and he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in chapter 18, verse 17, it says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? seeing that Abram shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. See, God wants us to know that he is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. But how do we know, church? Well, I wanna say the first part, part of this, the starting point of this, is the same as what Abram did. It said, he believed. It says, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. The reality of this comes with the initial step of belief. Do you honestly sit here today and believe that God is for you? It's an important question. Do you believe God? Do you believe the almighty God of the universe can choose to fix his love on you and me and covenant with you and me to bless us just because he chooses to. Wow. We should be sitting with our mouths open thinking of this king and the glorious nature of his love for us. It's unfathomable, church. But we so often battle to believe because we battle to trust. Abraham trusted God Farmers, I don't know if there's any farmers here, but farmers battle to believe the weather report, right? Because they battle to trust it. They don't trust it. And we can be like that when it comes to God. Sometimes we battle to believe, but if we have to search our hearts, church, if you battle to believe that God is for you in your finances, then you need to search your heart and say, well, am I at that point of where my belief has translated into trust? 
Because I want to declare again today, and I'm going to say this repeatedly, God never changes. And God has covenanted with you to bless you and your family, in your finances and life in general. If you don't, if you don't know that, or you don't think that, then you need to ask yourself the question, how much do I actually trust God? So here's a question. How do we act? How do we act knowing that he's a covenantal God? Well, let's look at Abram's life for a couple of thoughts around this. Firstly, we walk in faith like Abram did. Here's some of the things that he did in faith. In faith, he stewarded what God had given him. We know the story in Genesis 13. He goes out, God sends him, says, I'm sending you into land that I'm giving you. He goes in Genesis 13, verse 10, with Lot, and they start fighting. Well, Lot starts fighting, and his herdsmen start fighting over the land. And Abram says, basically, he says, and, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. That was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you know the story, Abram gave Lot the choice because he knew that to steward what God has given you means I have to release it into God's hands. God had given him the land. He didn't have to pick the best. He just had to say, God, my hands are open. And he stewarded what God had given him. And the Bible tells us he was a rich and wealthy man. I remember, and I don't know if I've told some of you this story, but when we were in India, there was a time where we had to get renewed visas. And we were there on a business visa because as, as Christians, you're not allowed to actually be there as a, um, a missionary. And they would send police out every now and then to come and check on us and to come and try and catch us out. And these two guys came to our door one day, policemen, wanted to see all our paperwork, sat in our lounge, very abruptly, looking through all our paperwork, trying to find faults. And at the end of it, they said, okay, your paperwork looks okay, but to get your visa, we're going to have to get a police clearance done for you. You need to pay us a thousand rupees. And we didn't had never heard of that happening before. We had never had to done that, do that before on a previous visa. And I just had in my spirit a sensey sneak that this was a, a bribe that was hatching here. And we made the commitment when going to India that we would never pay bribes because it dishonors. It's not a steward of being a good steward of God's finances. And I said to the guy, are you sure you have to do this? Yes, you have to do this, very abruptly. He said, if you don't do this, we're not renewing your visa. You need to give us the 1,000 rupees to do a police clearance. So I said, just hold on a minute. And I went with Lynn into the other room, and I said to her, babes, I don't know. This, to me, it doesn't sound right. They're not giving us an invoice, but in my spirit, I feel like it might be a bribe, but the problem is if it's not, and we don't give the money, then we don't get the visa, and right there and then we just prayed and we said, Lord, we, we, we want to be good stewards of what you've entrusted with us, with our finances. If this is a bribe, we don't know, please sort it out, Lord. We, we don't want to pay a bribe. You know our hearts, but we don't know what to do. And we left it there and I went back into the room and I again asked him, I said, are you sure you need this? And by this time he was getting irate with me and they were like, basically, give us the money. 
And so I took out 1,000 rupees. For us, that was a lot. Our whole rent for a month was 9,000 rupees. And so we gave him the 1,000 rupees, and they, off they went out the door. And that was it. And as, they were, as I closed the door, you have that sick feeling in your stomach. And I was like, oh, that just doesn't feel right. About five minutes later, there's a knock on the door. I went to the door, opened the door, and there was this guy standing. And he was, I kid you not, as white as a sheet. And he took the money and he threw it at me. And he said, I don't need your money. Just take your money. And I said, what do you mean? You told me now you needed the money. No, we'll do it. Just take your money. I don't want your money. Just take it. He threw the money at us and he left. To this day, I don't know what God did. (laughs) But God did something, church. God did something. We called to steward what God gives us. Abram did that. And second thing, he tithed. In faith, Abram tithed. Genesis 14, verse 17, it says, After his return from the defeat of Shedoloma and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Melchizedek is an amazing picture in the, in the Old Testament. Read more about him. But he was a priest of God, most high, but he's also a type of Christ, soon to come. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This was before the law was instituted. He gave a tithe to, the, to God's work and God's kingdom in faith. Not because of law, but in faith. In faith, he trusted God to create wealth. Wealth, third point. Genesis 14, verse 21. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hands to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. He trusted God to be the creator of wealth. Sometimes, I don't know, I've heard stories, and I've been like this at some stage too. I don't have a job. I'm waiting for God to provide. God will provide, and we do nothing. That's not waiting for God to provide, church. That's just laziness. God has given us so much. He has given us a brain. He's given us creativity, influence, wisdom, ingenuity, entrepreneurial skills. Being faithful with God is trusted to us to create wealth means that I co-labor with Christ in this venture of finances. And then lastly, it says, in faith he gave offerings. And we know the story, I'm not gonna read it, but chapter 22, verse 15, he, he offers to God something that I hope none of us would ever have to do. I certainly can't imagine this, but he offered his own son, We know the story of Abram and Isaac. You see, offerings cost. Offerings are over and above tithes. Offerings are an overflow of our hearts. Thank God. And this was Abram's heart. Just here, what we've already talked about tonight, uh, this morning. He realizes, he knows, God has said, 
God has said, I'm gonna be the father of many nations. God has blessed me. God's blessing is over me. I need to come with belief, firstly. Second of all, my belief needs to translate into trust. And I know I can trust God, even in the situations. But if it doesn't come to anything, I know it's, it's gonna cost. But yet, I will be faithful. I don't know about you, but there's times, church, where I've evaluated my finances and giving, and I've gone, yeah, to a point, but not when it costs. So here's the question. Are we actually part of this covenant? <laughs> Surely this was merely given to Abram. Are we actually, is this actually for me? Well, Galatians chapter three, verse six to nine says this. Just as Abram believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, here's the line, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham. Woohoo! Guys, it's for us. Those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So then the important thing is, who are those of faith? Well, it must be those who have faith in a covenant. No. It's not good enough to have faith in the covenant. The covenant only has value if you're entitled to partake in the covenant. Does that make sense? It's only of value. This covenant is only of value if I'm able to partake in that. We can't be in faith for a covenant unless we are born of faith through Jesus Christ. And if we're born of faith through Jesus Christ, church, if you're sitting here today and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are of faith and are blessed along with Abraham in that same covenant. We become heirs to this covenant as children of Abraham, but we become children, hear this, we become heirs of the covenant as children of Abraham, but we become children not because of a natural bloodline, we are not of Abram's bloodline. <laughs> Galatians 3, verse 28 to 29 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. There's an amazing thing that happened in Genesis chapter 17, verse, 15, verse five, that made this a reality, church. Now I wanna end shortly on this point. But in Genesis chapter 17, verse five, God confronts Abram at that time that he promises this blessing over him. And he says, right, I'm gonna change your name. And this is exactly what the scripture says. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. It's two amazing things out of this one verse that we sometimes skip over. You see, Abram means exalted father. Singular, wonderful father. Abraham means father of many nations. But when God said that to Abram, Abram must have scratched his head at first 
Because up until that time, the only way you could be blessed under that covenant that Abram received was if you were a Jew. How is it possible that God's chosen people suddenly expanded from just the Jews to Jews and Gentiles? We sit here today as Gentiles, church. And he says, no, hold on. I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. If you look up, there's an amazing, and I'm not a Greek or Hebrew or Latin scholar, but this is so interesting, church. The name of God is a four-letter word. It's called tetragrammation. That four-letter word is spelt Y-H-W-H. And it's pronounced Yorva, or we get today Jehovah from that word. But what's so interesting is that sound. It was never meant to be written. In fact, it couldn't be written in Hebrew. They wrote that in Latin because that's the only way it could be written because it was a sound. Yovah. And God says, I'm taking you from Abram and I'm making you Abraham. I'm putting my name in the midst of your name. Putting my name on you. And he changed his name. And in the midst of Abram comes ah, the very sound of God's name. And he says, as I put your name into the midst of you, my name into the midst of you, I suddenly open it up where you can be the father of many nations. And God comes into the midst of history, church. He comes into the midst of history with his name, this great name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he wants to come into the midst of our finances. And he wants to come into the midst of our families. And he wants to come into the midst of our marriages with the sound and the breath of his name and the power of his name and the blessing that comes through his name. I tell you what, we are truly, as 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. In the midst of your name is found the name of God just by virtue of the blessing and the covenant promises that you live under from Abram's times. So church, when you think of finances, my encouragement, and I hope it's an encouragement today, is let's not get caught up in how much do I give as my soul thought. Because if we think like that, we will never, ever be the generous people that God has called us to be. Our motivation has to be who is this king that has lavished his blessing on me? And if I am blessed by faith, let me not only believe, but let me trust and let me walk out that faith in belief and trust. Amen.